Welcome to Rewrite the Mother Code, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves. Through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences, we're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way that you never have before, but have always needed. It's time to rewrite the mother code. Good morning. Welcome to this week's episode of Rewrite the Mother Code with me, Dr. Gertrude Lyons. And I say morning. Maybe you can hear my morning voice um, because it's morning here in Chicago. And I've recently returned from two weeks in Ireland. I'm a week past, so I think I'm over the jet lag, although it wasn't bad at all. Coming back is always easier, but I also recommend acupuncture. Because I had acupuncture on the day I got back, made sure I got good rest, and it's like it didn't even happen, which is kind of cool. I got to figure out going the other way, though, because I was pretty troubled <laughs> by that by that jet lag headed in the direction east. So I have a guest today, Jill Castle, and I'm super excited to bring her on the show. She is world-renowned child nutritionist, and you'll hear details about her but we have shared some very meaningful to me and I think to her too, times together in Alexia Vernon's, well, it's our, our group is called Legacy, but it's a forum for women supporting each other, but also getting great coaching from Lex in their growing their businesses, but particularly around speaking. So have just been massively inspired by the women in that group. And Jill is definitely one of them. But on this particular trip, we had the opportunity with the last retreat in April, Jill and I went on a few walks together, got up good morning walks because we were staying outside of Vegas and some really beautiful scenery nourishing to get up and we got to know each other. And I mean, I knew I'd want Jill on my podcast just because she's phenomenal in what she does and supporting mothers, parents with their children around nutrition but I really got to know her as a mother. And that's what really drew me because she really rewrote a lot of mother codes to mother away in the way she wanted to and in a way that felt right to her. So we're going to be exploring that together on today's show. And I'm super excited and inspired to do that. And I just wanted to reflect for a couple minutes before we get started on because it's still so fresh for me, our trip to Ireland. So this trip, we were in Ireland for two weeks in County Kerry in the Glen Bay Dukes area. Maybe you'll have seen by now, I don't know, these things, the way, uh, <laughs> what you might be seeing and what you might be seeing, you know, in other arenas like my newsletter, which if you're not on my newsletter list, please, please, please go to drgertrudelyons.com, D-R, Gertrude, G-E-R-T-R-U-D-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com and sign up because I share about myself. I share about things that are going on, but particularly I like you to know about events that I'm having and what's inspiring me to have those events. And so I'm already planning a, 
I'm so excited in my mind to be mapping out a retreat in Ireland. I'm shooting for 2024, either summer, fall of 2024. We If you saw or not, my husband and I decided to purchase a home in Ireland. So we are rehabbing a home in Ireland. It's a space and a place that's held huge meeting for us on many levels, but particularly spiritual pilgrimages we've been on, bringing our daughters and my mother there when uh, right after 9-11, and it's really powerful, super powerful energy in that space. So very excited to be imagining, contemplating, and bringing what I know will happen, but right now it's in its early stages and formation of how we're going to and how we want to invite others to come play in this magnificent, magical place that we're creating. Well, there's our place that we're creating. I don't mean to say (laughs) Ireland has created its magic over many, many, many years, and you feel it. And that's what has always inspired me and brought me some incredible experiences. So hopefully, but in the meantime, geez, got have lots of inspi- other inspiring things, mainly my fall, fall equinox self-mothering retreat in Mexico. I'm really excited about that one because I haven't done one in the fall, which is the rainy season in Mexico. And the rainy season is a whole powerful other elemental experience. We might have rain. We might have lots of rain. We might have a little bit of rain, but it's lush and beautiful. And I think it's going to bring particular messages that the fall season, but particularly the fall season in this space is going to allow us to do. So that's a little bit about me, but I'm super excited. And let's get started with Jill. Well, here we are. So excited. Welcome, Jill, to my podcast. Thanks for having me, Gertrude. It's great to be here. Yeah. Well, we were just having fun sharing before we got on about things and one of which is (laughs) and our froggy voices. So you (laughs) might hear us both sound a little little froggy. Uh, Neither of us know why, but it's happening and we're going to deal with it. (laughs) It'll be fine. But I want to introduce Jill in that formal kind of what she's all about because she's done amazing things in her career. And I'm so excited to share those and also dig into just her life journey, which is equally as inspiring alongside the business she has created. So Jill Castle is one of the nation's premier childhood nutrition experts. Known as a paradigm shifter who blends current research, practical application, and common sense. Jill inspires audiences to think differently about feeding kids. Oh, I'm sure there's any of the women with kids just hearing that is going to be like, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. Okay. Mm -hmm. A sought after speaker, advisor, media contributor, Jill has inspired a range of audiences. Jill serves as an expert reviewer for parents.com and has been featured as a guest expert in CNN, the Washington Post, the New York Times. Forbes, Newsweek, Time, and many other outlets. But that's a, a pretty darn good uh, lineup there. So Jill is founder and CEO of The Nourished Child, a nutrition education website and podcast for parents. She's author of the forthcoming book, Size Wise, that's going to be published in 2024. 
Super excited. As well as the books, Eat Like a Champion, Try New Food, The Smart Mom's Guide to Starting Salads, The Smart Mom's Guide to Healthy Snacking, and co-founder of Fearless Feeding. Well, I love hearing all those titles all together, (laughs) but I'm super excited and also continuously inspired. And Jill, I want to hear, and we want to hear even more from you about your journey getting to this place where you have these amazing credentials and all the ways you've served families, children, mothers, parents, the whole gamut. Yeah. Why don't we start there? Yeah. Well, let me just first say it's taken a long time. So (laughs) over 30 years, so it didn't happen overnight. (laughs) Yeah. So I started thinking I would be a pediatrician or a doctor. And that didn't quite work out in college for me. I couldn't quite get past organic chemistry. And my dad, who was really into food and nutrition, said, take a course in nutrition. So I did. I took a nutrition 101. There's probably 500 kids in that class. And I did really well in it. And I really enjoyed it. It was a combination of obviously food and nutrients and nutrition, but also health and medical conditions and all that sort of stuff. So that launched me into becoming a registered dietitian. I moved out to Boston to do my internship here and then worked for seven years in a couple of hospitals in Boston. And I only worked with children. I really just love working with kids and it's very challenging to work with children. They have the same sort of medical conditions that adults do, but in smaller bodies that need to still Mm -hmm. grow. And so that's the challenge and the joy of working with children and families. But as I was a clinical dietitian, we started our family and I had my first child when I was 30 and a dietitian. I'd been a dietitian for seven years, trying to talk to families about how to raise their kids and feed them when I had no kids of my own, (laughs) which was, you know, a challenge. And once I had my own kids, I really thought I knew everything I needed to know about nutrition. And I had a sort of rude awakening in discovering that feeding my own children was nothing like what I had learned or what I had done in hospitals. It it was so much more challenging. And that sort of started me on a different journey. It started me on a journey of discovery around what does really nutrition mean for kids and families. And it's not what we are taught necessarily in school. There's a piece of that, right? Food and nutrition and nutrients, how it interacts in the body. There's that piece for sure. And that's what we're generally educated about. But there was this other, these other things like, why is my child behaving this way around food? Why are they refusing to eat or refusing to try new foods or going into the pantry and sneaking a snack when I'm not around? Why are they doing those things? So there's this like child development, temperament, motivation piece to it. And then there was this other component, which I really was fascinated and still am to this day, was this feeding interaction component. Like, what am I doing as I'm feeding my kids that is sort of triggering some of these behaviors? And I really kind of dove into that sort of psychology of childhood development and the psychology of feeding kids. And that just took me down a whole different journey in terms of what I was passionate about and helping parents. And I started a private practice, went back to work when my youngest started kindergarten, opened a private practice in Nashville. And I was full-time, just pediatrics and worked with 
lots of families with different nutrition concerns from eating disorders to food allergies, to sports nutrition, to kids who are carrying more body fat and helping families sort of navigate all of these challenges. And that led to my first book. I started a blog and I started writing. That was back in 2009. That led to my first co-authored book, which led to speaking and consulting and another book. And that sort of got the tumbleweed going. And here I am today. (laughs) I've done so many different things in the field, all with the purpose of helping families feed their kids in ways that are joyful and effective and nourishing. Even though I've heard your story so many times and I love doing this because I've, I'm hearing nuances and aspects of it that I hadn't heard before, just, but particularly a couple of things that are standing out in what you just shared is the whole relationship piece, right? Like we, I think often in our culture, it's like, well, I know the good foods they should eat. Just like eat them. Right. (laughs) I made it, eat it. (laughs) But there's so much wrapped up around food. And I remember as a new mom and, you know, and both kids were so different from everything from breastfeeding on to all these transitions of food. And, and I know I would get so it's, there's something primal about it. Like I got to feed my kid, you know, like they, they need nutrition and they need, and what's okay, what's not okay. It really dominates a lot of, especially early, you know, Mm -hmm. I would say different things happen ongoing, but you know, it feels very life or death in those early years. And did that, when you realized that, you know, having your own child, is that what kind of caused you to, I think you said it, like study more, like learn more about the behavior and relationship aspect? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that for parents out there who might be listening, if it's not going well, if you feel like a complete failure, you don't even think that there's something going, you know, that your child is an individual and they have sort of their own agenda and their own mm-hmm. personality that is feeding into this. As a parent, you don't necessarily look at it that way. You look at it as I am doing something wrong. I am right. failing here. And this is supposed to be the easiest thing about parenting. But the truth is, it's not the easiest thing. It's no. probably one of the harder things. And that's sort of a societal belief that we should all know what our kids need to eat. We should all know how to feed them. We should all know exactly what they need as they move through all these different stages of their childhood. Mm. And the truth is we don't know. We're not educated that way. We're not prepped that way. I used to tell this story about when my husband and I were expecting our first child and we did a Lamaze class. I think we had like six or eight sessions where we would go in and we would learn about the child birthing experience, which on average was, I think, 12 hours. We spent seven or eight sessions learning what to do in that 12 hours. And it was so ironic to me after I had my own child, first child, and I was having all these struggles. I said to my husband, I'm like, gosh, if we spent seven sessions on helping parents feed their children in that first year, things I think could be dramatically different in terms of the comfort of parents, the knowledge of parents, the confidence. It is ironic in our country that we don't spend a lot of time supporting parents in this feeding journey, this nutrition journey with their kids, but yet we'll focus a lot on 
how to push that baby out. How to push that baby. (laughs) (laughs) Which in our culture, like if you want to do it outside the typical system um, and actually learn about it is great. I'm not denying it, you know, or negating because we know nothing about that process and possibilities. But gosh, you just brought up like a couple triggers for me around these myths that we have, like in everything surrounding mothering and parenting. It's like, we're just supposed to know it's intuitive. Yeah. And then when you don't, and it's not, and it's not like what you thought, then of course you think you're stupid or wrong. And and then you don't tell people because you're embarrassed, that whole thing for sure. But what also keeps coming up for me, Jill, is around that another, so we don't get educated in general. And then we're also not inclined or taught to look at our own emotional stuff and wiring mm-hmm. around food mm-hmm. in our own selves and then our our parents' selves and everything that's getting passed down generationally yeah. just regarding food mm-hmm. and eating. And as I'm saying that, I'm just picturing my parents and what they lived through and my the depression. And, you know, like there's just a lot of yeah, different things. So we come in once we're supposed to know, and then two, we have all of this wiring, and that's what I would love. Some of that seven hours, you know, or those seven sessions, to however many hours to also dedicate to, like, hey, let's look at ourselves, and what do you think? Yeah, you know, how was eating for you? What was your, what were your early years like, and how did your parents handle it? So that you can decide. I want that looks good. I feel pretty good around food whatnot, you know, yeah. or food was the thing that was supposed to make me feel better. And if I felt bad, like here, have a treat, you know, just mm-hmm. all sorts of things, all sorts of things. And if, if you grew up, because I wrote that I'm writing this book size wise, one of the yeah. things I've researched about is this idea that parents come to the table with their own quote unquote stuff. And that could be a parent who grew up in a larger body and was stigmatized or shamed within the family home, not perhaps intentionally, but just sign of the times. That's just how people have been treated over decades. Like if you're in a body that's not slim, trim, and fit, then you are at higher risk for being shamed and stigmatized. And when it comes, sure. it happens to you in the home, it can be very traumatic and you, you can't not necessarily carry that stuff. And if you're an adult who's carried that history or an adult who had an eating disorder, for example, or a mother who had, or a father who had a, an eating disorder or another medical condition, you carry that quote unquote trauma into your own home and your own interactions with your Mm -hmm. own children and figuring out some of that stuff can be super beneficial to helping your children take a different track. Yeah. Well, I love what you just said, because sometimes we won't, I mean, that's just good, gosh darn good healing for ourselves, no matter what, and to go on that journey and heal and explore what, if you haven't, you know, what everything from eating disorder stigmatized for a larger body and on, you know, the whole range, right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good for you, but we won't necessarily do it for ourselves. You know, we won't, but bring a child into the picture. It's like, well, if this is good for my child, maybe I will. And I don't care. I'd love for them, for people, you know, to think like they're valuable enough to go on that journey because it's going to just be life-changing yeah. and bring so much. And I also understand why we don't. It's painful. It, you know, there's mm-hmm. 
plenty of reasons why we don't want to, you know, dive into those things. But what's on the other side is so beautiful and so freeing. And that is a huge gift to give our children. And even if you're doing it in the midst of raising your child, I think our children sense that they realize that you're working on it and that trickles down. You don't have to have it all figured out or have yourself. There's no such thing as being completely healed, but you know, like feel like you're, you've done it all, but to be in that space. So, or showing self-compassion when your children see you show self-compassion, it just models that for them. It it just Mm -hmm. says it's okay to be not perfect. And I think today, in our society that is so focused on perfection, whether we like to say it's true or not, I see it through that lens that there's a certain way to be, a certain way to feed, a certain food to offer, like all these things. You can locate it around nutrition, but you can get it into appearances and what classes your child should be taking in school and what Mm -hmm. colleges. I mean, it's like it's perseverant in, in so many different arenas. That if you can show yourself self-compassion and imperfection to your child, it can be such a game changer for them. Yes. Yep, exactly. I think without, and we're talking about this around food, but, you know, expanded it and we're expanding it, looking at like all the arenas that we're put into decisions we're making around how we're raising our children and what we're doing, that when you've done some of this work yourself, you realize you're not just then trying to have your child have the better experience if you're not giving it to yourself too, right? Then that creates its own stress and anxiety. Like I think the children feel that like for sure. So you saying like, admit your mistakes, admit you're working on it, admit, you know, be transparent more about those things is such a anxiety reliever for kids, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it brings up that like, that being overly concerned, right? So how did you, do you, you know, support mother's parents to not be like crazy concerned, you know, too concerned about their kids' food and eating? Like, of course there needs to be some concern, but how do you make those distinctions for them and, and guide them in that? Exactly. So I would say that I try to keep things super simple and practical. I wouldn't say that I'm an extremist about this is the good food you have to give your children and this is the bad poisonous food you must avoid. I just don't believe that there is a right or wrong way to feed kids. I think there are good practices around feeding children. I think keeping it simple, keeping it practical, connecting with your child and really trying to understand your child's motivations Mm. and understand your child's temperament where they are in their development is super helpful because, you know, I raised four kids and I can tell you not any of them were the same. They had different temperaments. Of course, they were different ages. So they were going through different developmental stages and sort of really trying to understand what their motivation was and what they needed at that time in their lives is really, I think, helpful for parents because then they feel like they are connecting with that specific child in that moment. And that is always going to feel more rewarding. Yeah. But, you know, there's certain things, food is nourishing and obviously a balanced meal is going to be more nourishing than something that's a not balanced meal. I think parents get that. I think also though, that food is also nurturing And we lose that sort of idea that, yeah, you mentioned earlier, some children 
might eat out of emotion because it's comforting. A lot of people will say that's a bad thing, but I'm not sure it's a bad thing. If a child has no other way to comfort themselves, I'm not sure that that's bad, right? And so there are things about food that can help children cope, grow, learn. It's nurturing in that manner. Without food, kids don't learn how to cook. They don't know how to self-regulate their eating, mm. right? So there are roles for food that are not nutrition. And it, and certainly it's a vehicle for families to connect. And I think that that is something that's super critical today is the connection piece for kids, especially in their emotional well-being and their development. Kids really need to have a touch point with their family and mealtime can be that connection touch point for lots of families. And so connection, I think probably overrides, if not equalizes the nourishing and nurturing aspect of food. I love what you're saying about that because I I think it brings two pieces together that I don't think we think about a lot is the atmosphere around your eating and that you're, this is something I learned through a friend who is an Ayurvedic practitioner that really struck me, which is anything that's going on around your mealtime, you're ingesting, right? Mm -hmm. So that this whole connecting with family and having community time around your eating can be such a significant part of the nourishment. Now, I've also worked with people in coaching where mealtime was awful. Like it was stressful. It was where the parents would come and fight or there was pressure to, there were just pressures at the mealtime, you know? Mm -hmm. And so obviously that is a powerful piece. And is that something that you've worked with parents on to reorient them? And I know you said this earlier, but some of the coaching is helping them enjoy the experience of feeding their families. And if you could say some more about that. Yeah, absolutely. The mealtime environment is so important. It needs to be relaxed It needs to be, again, focused on connection, not focused on food. I think for children, many children come to the table and there are lots of expectations, expectations to clean your plate, expectations to drink your milk, expectations to try something new, expectations to use your manners. There's just a lot of expectations on kids at the table. And yes, all of those, you know, we want our kids to try new foods. We want them to be mannerful. We want them to eat while they're there. But the challenge is, I think for parents, when their kids aren't doing that, it builds that level of frustration, which builds stress, which starts the nagging, starts the fighting. And I think if parents can remember that mealtime, yes, is for nourishment, but it's also that place and time for connection and the relaxation, good vibes start with them, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are going to feed off their parents. And if their parents come to the table, happy, relaxed, interested in talking about other things aside from eating and food, (laughs) um, that's always a rule when I work with families. Like the first rule is we're not talking about food and we're not talking about eating at the table. Talk about anything else. But the minute we start saying, oh, John, I'm so glad you're trying that broccoli. For a lot of kids, it's like pressure. I've got to perform. Yes. And so if parents, I mean, that's a great place to start for anybody listening out there just to drop the talk about how nutritious this food is, how healthy that is. 
you should have more of this. You should try that. Like if you can let go of all of that, Mm -hmm. the dynamic at the mealtime will almost instantaneously get more relaxed. The kids will be more relaxed because the expectations will be lightened up. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March, 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo, meaning land of the goddess women, and coming to really take time for yourself, okay? And that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go? It's a five and a half day retreat getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone, I will be honest. You know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up. But now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings and If you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. I love what you're saying. And I'm also picturing, I think myself, but also those anxious moments, right? So, so much of this is then comes back to me. How do I deal with my anxiety when I put this food out and, you know, they're not eating the vegetable that I serve them or I'm think that me telling them how nutritious this is and praising them for eating the good stuff. But if I'm not looking at myself and like, why, why am I so caught up in this? Like, is he going to be okay? Like, what is this again? What's going on with me in the moment? What am I feeling? If I can name that, that'll help. Cause I think some of what you're saying, I'm also thinking about in a traditional scenario, maybe, you know, one parent is working outside the home or one's inside or either way, maybe they're both 
coming home or a single parent, right? But all the permutations. You come home, you've had your whole day, mm-hmm. and then you're supposed to make this meal and you're still sitting with your whole day. And then you're going to sit down and like, you've been performing at work, you've been on, you know, and then this is just another like job to do. And they're, if they're not cooperating, then they're just showing you what a terrible parent you are. Because if you're doing your job well, then of course they would just love everything that's been prepared. So I'm thinking about, I mean, assignments I've given couples or parents is to take time either before they cook the meal for themselves, like, Mm -hmm. and this doesn't have to be a long time. This could be a few minutes, but then to come together, it takes work to get to that table and be in good shape for that meal. Like that's, we, I think as I'm saying, you know, kind of saying this all out myself, I'm realizing that we think the preparing of the dinner is the cooking of it, but all these ways to like take care of ourselves before we sit down for that meal with, with our kids, that's good for us, right? First and foremost, we need that for ourselves. But again, our children are going to benefit from me coming to the table, having done some self-care, some like clearing from my day, hugging my partner, getting some nourishment as we go into that. So I'm just yeah. realizing this, you know, for myself and yeah. And you know, you coach. Yeah. Yeah. You coach, I coach. I mean, peeling the onion is a great metaphor. Like, why are you getting so frustrated that your child won't? Yeah. Why does this mean so much? What is actually mm-hmm. does this really mean? And so for some parents, it might be like you said, I've worked all day and this is just yeah. another job and I'm exhausted and my cup is empty. But for others, it might be I've been home all day with the kids. I've yes. everything with the kids <laughs> and I've had no help. And I'm now done. I'm really resentful. Yeah. Right. I am resentful and this is not fun. And for others, it might be, I'm already nervous about my child's health. They don't eat well at all. Now they come to the table and I have to watch them every night after I've made them exactly what I think will be good for them and what I know they like, and they're still refusing it. What else on this planet can I do to help my kid? I mean, so there's so many angles to it. And I think getting to the root of it can be really helpful. Like, why is this so upsetting? And then when you can get to the root, it's sort of like you can then, I like to really just give, I always say to parents, you made a meal, pat yourself on the back. That is the only thing that you have to do from now on. Like get it on the table and then sit down and enjoy your meal. And do not even watch your kids eat. Don't look at them eat. Just like release yourself. It's not your job anyways. That's their job. At at the point at which you put the meal on the table, your job ends. It's not your job to make your child eat. It's not your job to make sure they try new foods. It's not your job to make sure they leave the table full. That's their job. And when you can sort of separate yourself from being responsible for them being nourished, Mm you will feel a lot better and you'll be able to say, it's not my job to make sure you eat. You can eat or not eat. It doesn't matter to me. This is the only time we're having dinner though. So if you eat and you leave, you'll be happy. If you decide to sit here and not eat, that's it. We'll wait till tomorrow morning. So you can really release yourself from Mm. this. My job is to get my child to eat. It's not your job. That's their job. Oh, and that was such a piece of gold right there, Jill, with the, um, and I want to underline it because I think what wasn't my job. So my kid doesn't eat and 
Okay. Well, you didn't, that's your choice. You have a choice to mm-hmm. eat now. Your next choice is to eat in the morning mm-hmm. and that I'm not going to provide snacks. You're not going to like nibble your way, you know, through the night or after this. And that is just music to my ears. I, I'm not going to help you do your job. Yeah. Wow. And giving I mean, I'll, I'll do my job, which is, yeah. Make sure meals are on time, they're made, they're on the table when they're supposed to be, and the environment's pleasant, that's your job. But like, I'm not going to now take over a part of your job and make sure you eat. That's your job. Yeah. And kids actually, most kids who are developing in sort of the way they're supposed to be progressively developing, love having the autonomy of doing that job. They like making decisions about what they will eat and what they won't eat. And they learn by those consequences when they don't eat. They actually do learn that it's like, okay, mealtime is time to eat. This is when I need to eat. When you use the word consequence, which I think is so important, it's not a punishment. You're not punishing them by saying if they don't eat this meal, their next meal is breakfast. That's not a punishment. It's a consequence. They made a choice and then they get to learn. I love it. It's a logical consequence. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to touch on not one thing. It's, it would be a whole plenty to talk about. <laughs> That's for sure. But you you said at the beginning, you know, how, oh, I was, you know, this child nutritionist for so long and figured I, I knew everything. And then I had kids and then that made me realize, you know, how much. But in our time together in Las Vegas, this particular time, and I'm realizing now hearing you talk that I see that the way you challenged yourself to look at things and mother differently than you had been raised and, Mm -hmm. you know, to have noticed things that like, well, I didn't like that so much. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it this way and um, made some conscious choice to rewrite, Mm -hmm. you know, different ways. And I think you, whether it was where it was totally conscious and, and supported you were doing it, where it just kind of was your natural thing to do. I think it's made you the amazing top American child nutritionist and is because you've been on the journey yourself. So yeah, whatever comes to mind that you could share about some places where you did that and did it differently than might've been what was scripted for you or what might've been normal Yeah, in that way. First off, I'll start. I had great parents and, you know, until I became a mother, I thought I had a perfect childhood. And I think that was a gift that I received as a child. But, you know, as I grew older and had my own children, uh, and I think the blessing of my education too, and the work that I do, Mm -hmm. I could see that, you know, I remember my mom never eating all day until dinner time. She, you know, was a smoker and she liked to talk on the phone and have her Coca-Cola's all day long, but she didn't eat until dinner time. So I didn't ever have a model of like a normal eater, you know, somebody who, you know, eats two to three meals a day in regular intervals who eats a variety of foods. So that, that was something I came to, and it's not a diss on my mom. I think it's just, you know, she was tuning into her body and didn't have an appetite all day until dinner time. And she would always make a great meal homemade. And she sat at the table and really modeled enjoyment of eating. Mm. So I got that from her, but I didn't get the regular, here's how you run a household with structured meals and you cook three times a day and you're putting snacks on the table two or three times a day, depending on how old the kids are. And so that was one thing. I also, you know, there wasn't a lot of food variety in my house. 
I remember apples, oranges, and bananas were this. My sister and I talk about this all the time. Like, did we ever have grapes or blueberries? <laughs> I don't think we ever had any of that stuff growing up. And so I run a very different household. I mean, I have a lot of variety of food and there's no food that's off limits. I think we joked on this walk. You could open my pantry. You'll see potato chips and chocolate and cookies, and but you'll also see nuts and whole grain cereals and whole wheat pasta and you'll see everything. There's nothing. I never wanted my children to think that there were foods that were off limits or bad for you, Mm -hmm. that there was just really, we could enjoy everything. I take the responsibility of being in charge of the food when my kids were younger. And so even all, even though all those things were there, it didn't mean that my kids had like full access to it all the time. I had a fairly, you know, structured kitchen. It was like, kitchen's open for meals and snacks. And the rest of the time, the kitchen's closed. We don't go help ourselves. You ask first, all these things. Mm-hmm. I would also say that I've told this story before, but you know, I was the oldest of four kids and we had dinner every night at six or 6.30 when my dad got home from work. So that was a great thing that was very predictable. But I wouldn't say there was a perception of abundance when it came to mm-hmm. food. There was make exactly the portions that everybody. And so I grew up with this, this idea that, and, and my siblings too, we've talked about this, this idea that food was scarce, that like we had to run to the table to get the biggest plate of food. And so we used to fight about who got more and who didn't get, and I don't like that. I really wanted to like get away from that. And so with my kids, my family, and my husband's very much was raised opposite of that. Food was like abundance. Like there's always going to be leftovers, right? There's always so much food on the table that everybody could get what they needed and never feel like they were shortchanged. Yeah. That's how I raised my kids. I mean, I, I serve meals family style, platters, plates, bowls, piles of food, take what you need, take as much as you think you need like really giving that autonomy to my kids to self-regulate their eating. It's amazing because a lot of people don't trust that, but it really does work. If your kids are allowed to, given permission and encouraged to take what you need, eat what you feel you need, right? Take as much as going to make you feel satisfied. They walk away from the table satisfied and they're not back an hour later looking for more food. They actually make it to the next meal. They're not eating all day and grazing. They're actually eating meals in a timely fashion. So I did that differently. Of course, my my parents plated our food, like put everything on the plate for us. I don't do that at all. I do, like I said, family style. I let my kids always have, pretty much always have since they were like, you know, school age, let them serve themselves from what's on the table, which, you know, that helps them, you know, self-regulate their appetite, but also helps them develop skills around serving themselves, cutting their food, like really gave them a lot of autonomy at the table, pouring their own milk. And then, you know, the other thing that I think stands out to me was my mom used to hide all her sweets and treats in her, her, uh, lingerie drawer and like these little things she squirreled away for herself that I think I look at it now. And I think it was like her little way of honoring herself and having her own self-care. But as a child, for me, it was like, Ooh, you know, M&Ms in the underwear drawer. (laughs) 
what is that? Like I'm sneaking in here and getting some of that. So I decided not to do that with my children. Like if yeah. we have M&Ms in the house, they're in the, they're in the pantry. You know, of course there's rules. Like you have to ask, you can't help yourself, but they were never like forbidden. Yeah. There's no forbiddenness about any or, or scarcity about those things. Mm-hmm. I think that was such an important thing you brought up, like just these things that can then create scarcity. I'm so relating to that one about having just enough on the table and then yeah. the scarcity that got wired in about yeah. that because there was enough, but just enough, right? Yeah. So yeah. I would find when I'd go other places and there was abundance, like I was just like, oh my God, give me it all, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like what? I could, I remember going to a high school. I had a high school friend. I was in boarding school in Canada and they lived on a farm in Canada. And just as you described, they had plat, like a, you'd sit down for a dinner platter, a platter of pork chops. What are you talking about? Like you just get the one for you, two yeah. for dad, one for my brother, one for my mom, right? Like, what yeah. do you mean this platter, this and other things like other me choices? <laughs> like it yeah. just blew me away around and they were all healthy, fit people yeah. that you know, it wasn't like, oh God, of course that's going to mean like these super obese people. Cause, and it wasn't that way at all. Yeah. I think there was a reverence for it and a, and a beauty sure. in it. So I think you're, and this is what I love. Like you're bringing up these, and even I'm thinking about like ways I did it with my children and even having a 24 and 26 year old, I'm like, oh my God, I still sit there sometimes. And like, with them and like, what are they eating? How, oh, I noticed she didn't eat her whole, like, why isn't she eating, you know? And okay. Continued opportunities for me to see what's going on for me and uh, assess that. No, she's fine. You know, (laughs) there's a lot of trust, you know, there's a lot of trust that's required to Mm -hmm. trust that your child will pick the right amount of food to eat and trust that they will get enough and not too much and all this stuff. But you know, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's progressive throughout childhood. Right. But yeah, my kids are in their 20s now as well. And I watch them eat more out of curiosity than any. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about them eating. I feel very confident that they know how to take care of their bodies. But I still, I love to watch pe- my children and other children eat more out of curiosity and fascination mm-hmm. around. I love that. I'm going to take that. I love watching people enjoy eating. I love watching my children enjoy eating. I love making the foods now that they remember from their childhood and mm. ask me. I feel like it's so rewarding to me mm. to do that. And I don't worry. I have this hope for families too that if they found a rhythm and a way to connect and a way to nourish their kids, I hope that parents are able to just feel confident and have pride in that and let Mm. nature sort of take its course because kids are super resilient and, you know, they need to learn, but they need to learn in ways that are sort of self-motivated and meaningful for them. Not, not on a lecture, a nutrition lecture or a forced march of exercise, or let me take you to a cooking class. I mean, those things are all fun and everything, but it's really more about lots of exposures Lots of experiences, lots of fun and adventure and heartwarming connection. And kids find their way. You know, as a parent, you're not the only influence. So it's <laughs> the other thing. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, they find their way, but they do. Well, and I love what you said, you know, and I didn't mean to skip over that, but making discerned and conscious choices about places where maybe it wasn't as 
like, how can I build on what I liked about what my parents and my mom provided at mealtime and what I didn't and what I thought, like, I'm going to need some support for myself on this because I don't know how to do that because I didn't, yeah. wasn't raised with it. And that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay that you weren't, but you can learn. Right. And I think yeah. that's something that's so important is we can learn mm-hmm. about that and and discover it and, but make it a discern conscious choice. Like look at, go yeah. back and look at these things and look at mealtime and look at the space and the type of food and and all of that. And yeah. also, I didn't mention this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we talked about this was just the feeding interaction. I think we yeah. connected around the idea that my both of my parents are of German descent and it was a very authoritarian feeding dynamic. Like I made the meal, you're going to eat it. This is what's here. You're not leaving until it's done. And that was an area that was a gap for me when I had my young kids. That was definite. And that's why I think Fearless Feeding, the Mm -hmm. first book I co-authored, that came out of that learning period of my life where I had to learn how to be diplomatic with feeding and really get away from this authoritarian controlling feeding that I was raised with. Because when you're raised that way, it becomes ingrained. It becomes the default. It, really does. it does. It's the wiring and we have to mm-hmm. work at shifting it and changing yeah. it. But the cool thing is we can, we can yes. change it. Absolutely. We have to consciously work on it. Absolutely. Well, I would love, I have one more question for you, but first I want, if you would share how people can find you and explore more and probably get on a mailing list. that's going to tell them when your new book comes out, but still have time to discover your previous books and, and, yeah, yeah. and learn about you. So if you're a parent, thenourishchild.com is a website that I created for parents to help them understand and become educated about nutrition and feeding children. It really runs the gamut from infancy all the way through adolescence, starting solids to dealing with eating disorders and young athletes who are competitive. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. the full and everything in between. So there's information and there are courses and workshops and booklets, lots of things. All my books are hosted there too, as, as well as the Nourish Child podcast. If you're more of a professional and are looking for consulting or speaking or anything like, like that, I have another website, jillcastle.com, which is more of my professional site, not for parents, but for other organizations and businesses. But that's how. Or you can just Google my name and you'll find yeah, me. <laughs> we'll find you because you are... America's top child nutritionist, as people have said to you. So I'm, I want to make sure that's out there. Yeah. And what an honor and privilege it is to like have you on the show. So my last question is, what does rewrite the mother code mean to you? I think it's an awareness of the mothering that you experienced and consciously picking and choosing what you want to carry forward, letting go of the stuff that doesn't serve you and changing or reconstructing some of the things that happened in your childhood so that you can better parent the children that you have or the children in your life or better parent yourself. I love that. I mean, I, I thank you. That's like so succinct and clear. (laughs) Just came to Uh, me. I appreciate it. It's perfect. So Jill, thank you. And I know there'll be other times and I I highly anticipate your book. So 
we'll have to have you back on for sure when that's out so we can make sure lots of people know about it, but maybe even before then, but we'll see. So thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome, Gertrude. It's great to see you. Oh my gosh. I loved that interview with Jill. And I, I just think it's so cool when you know somebody and you feel like you've heard their story or heard so much about them and shared so many things, and then you learn more and you know more emerges. And a lot emerged for me in that, just feelings that came up for me around like, oh gosh, where I know I was putting messages, not such great ones around food and the pressure to like have my kids perform around eating and perform at the table versus just be and enjoy and trust. I think those were some big themes, but really want to underline like whether you have children or not, mothering ourselves around around food and nourishment is so key. And that process that we talked about in the interview around exploring, you know, what were the dynamics in my eating historically and you know, maybe I've been through a lot uh, around eating, eating disorders, you know, all the things that there's always more for me to learn. And I hope this episode brought some of that to light uh, for you. And I, I think this thing that gets very overlooked around eating it, because it is so focused on the food and what you're putting in your body is like the atmosphere and the other aspects that you're, that you're, creating and ingesting when you have a meal. That's why I've decided I I don't, if I'm alone, I really try to just be with myself and my food. I may, if I'm going to read something, it has to be something that's nourishing and uplifting, not the newspaper or anything that's going to be like stressful and jarring and emails or, you know, working while you eat. You're just in, you're not giving your spirit or the sense of honor to the food that you're having. I think when we do that, so I'm taken away a lot there and, and really hope that that has meaning for you. And again, if you um, want to join my email list, find out more about all the things happening with rewrite the mother code. I would love that at Dr. D R Gertrude, G E R T R U D E lions, L Y O N S.com. And you can sign up or just look around. And I'd love to hear comments on this one and hear how this struck you. And that you can also do on my Instagram, Dr. Gertrude Lyons on Instagram. All right. Blessings. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Rewrite the Mother Code. It helps other people who need this message aka all women, well, actually everybody, men included, to find it. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com and sign up for my newsletter. I'll see you next time.